So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Very expensive to get going for a couple of reasons. I mean, first, you need to produce a lot of product, you know, to meet the minimums of co-packers. The alternative is to try to make stuff yourself, and then you've got to invest in having the, the equipment and the facilities. And, and where it gets really expensive at the beginning, Jess, depending on how you choose to roll out, is slotting fees charged by retailers. So for anybody that doesn't know, slotting fees are fees that are charged to new manufacturers when a, uh, a supermarket or certain retailers put product on their shelves. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Sean Folkson. Sean, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much, Jess. Happy to be here. Uh, well, I'm happy you're here too because your pitch, your your PR people's pitch to have you on the show was like one of the easiest yeses I've had, which <laughs> there's a slight downside because I didn't do as much research on you as I usually do because I was just like, oh, that guy's going to be great. We got to have that guy. So uh, tell people about Night Food. Sure. So Night Food is a company that, you know, we make snacks for people that snack at night and we know that nighttime is a time when people tend to make their least healthy food choices. Over 85% of people do snack regularly at night and the most popular choices are not carrot sticks or rice cakes or celery. It's ice cream, of course, it's cookies, it's chips. And it's really interesting because, you know, this was a problem that I was dealing with myself and we didn't have all the statistics. When I invested my life savings and committed myself, my professional life, to night food. I didn't know a lot of what we now know, but what I knew was that nighttime snacking was a problem for me. And when I spoke to some friends and other people, it was a problem for them. And we just plowed ahead, but you know, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the size and the scope of the problem, but it, it is a really big deal. And what, what we want to do is give people knowing that, you know, most of us are going to snack at night anyway, if not on a very regular basis, then at least sporadically, we just want to give people better, healthier, more sleep-friendly nighttime snacks. There's a lot of companies out there offering healthier snack options, but what makes night food different is we were made to be healthier, specifically with better sleep in mind. So tell us, tell us a little more about the product. Sure. So, you know, look, ice cream is, uh, again, it's one of the most popular nighttime snacks. You know, we don't have the firm statistics on this one, but I bet if you go to the ice cream section, and whether it's Ben and Jerry's or Talenti or Halo Top or anything in between, if you're looking at those ice cream pints, the majority of what is being eaten, right? I mean, it's happening shortly before bed. It's happening between dinner and bed. 
It's not something people grab and eat on the go. It's not something people are having for breakfast typically. And so, you know, the challenge with most ice creams is they're, you know, they're loaded with fat, loaded with sugar, loaded with calories. And, and these are things that can be disruptive to the quality of your sleep. You know, I think people are starting to pay a lot more attention to sleep these days, Jess, which is a really big tailwind for us. And, and we can talk about that. But we know that, you know, not only are the, these things understood to be unhealthy, but research indicates that they're very sleep disruptive and disruptive specifically to sleep quality. And, and which is kind of insidious because it would almost be a better feedback loop if you had trouble falling asleep after you ate something that was going to be problematic because you would get that immediate feedback and you would know not to do it again. And I think that probably happens with caffeine, but something like alcohol, for instance, where the feedback is not as immediate, although it is somewhat, at least the next morning you wake up and you're like, why did I do that? You know, with, with sugar and fat and, and sodium in particular, most people don't even put two and two together, right? And so they're snacking at night, uh, they're sleeping like garbage, they're waking up the next day. Like I said, at least if you had, you know, eight shots of tequila, you'll put two and two together and you'll realize, okay, if I drink tequila, that's what's going to happen. But I don't think people put two and two together when it comes to their nutrition. And as a result, people are walking around tired. And what happens is that next night, now those cravings for sweets and salts are stronger. Their willpower and their decision-making mechanisms are weaker because they didn't sleep well last night. And so they're more likely to make those mistakes again. And so, so it is quite, quite a tricky situation that we're trying to help extract people from on a daily basis. So, so tell us a little more about what's in it. Sure. So what we wanted to do, we looked at regular ice cream and we looked at all the stuff, like I said, that's sleep disruptive. You got a lot of fat, a lot of sugar, a lot of calories. So we, we took a page, we looked at other uh, more healthy brands like a Halo Top, which is a brand that has blown up over the last few years, um, Enlightened and some of those other brands. And we know that it's, the first step is strip out uh, a lot of the fat, a lot of the sugar and a lot of the calories. So compared to, you know, a similar size serving of, uh, of Ben and Jerry's, for example, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, 33, 35% of the calories. You're looking at, you know, half the carbs and you're looking at typically about 25 to 33% of the sugar in a serving of night food compared to, let's say, Ben and Jerry's or a Haagen-Dazs. So stripping out, getting rid of a lot of that sugar, a lot of that fat, a lot of those extra calories is a big step. Also, we've got significantly more protein in night food. We've got a lot more fiber as well. So these are things that help uh, fill you up, help you feel sated for a longer period of time so that you don't feel the need to you know, keep eating quite as much. And if, if you do, I mean, a whole pint of a typical night food flavor might be 330 calories or 340 calories compared to a similar pint to Ben and Jerry's, which could be you know, 10, 50, 1100 calories. So you're getting a lot less. And again, more protein, more fiber really can help directly with you not overeating. And then also with the quality of your sleep. In addition, with regard to sleep quality, we've got ingredients like magnesium in larger quantities than, than other ice creams out there, calcium, zinc, uh, vitamin B6. So these are nutritional components that are uh, sleep supportive directly. So we're really addressing it from a lot of ways. One is getting rid of a lot of the stuff that can be sleep disruptive, adding in the macronutrients that can be sleep supportive, and then also adding in micronutrients uh, that are sleep friendly as well. And, and so we, we attack it from, you know, relaxation in the body, digestion, you know, heartburn, 
all of these things play a role. It's not just about, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of functions that go into how well you sleep and your sleep quality. And it's not all about just the production of serotonin and melatonin. It's about, a lot of it is about digestion as well and what goes on in the gut. So how much protein in that same pint? Uh, in a typical pint of night food, you're looking at about 24 to 26 grams of protein. And in a pint of, of Ben and Jerry's, you might be looking at 12 to 15. Yeah. Okay. So congratulations on the product design because my kids would think this is like a Pixar movie advertisement. This is great. Yeah. This is our new packaging, by the way. It hasn't hit shelves yet, but depending on when this airs, you know, we should, we should be starting to hit shelves. We just are wrapping up production any day. And hopefully this is going to start shipping to our existing customers and our new customers here before the, uh, before the end of the month. Now, do I understand you've been doing this for like 11 years already? Is that right? Yes. Yes. So sometimes you're a little bit early on an idea and maybe that's, I think what happened to us. Like I said, you know, the research didn't exist just when we started this, but what I knew was that this was a problem for a lot of people. And so we, we plowed ahead and we didn't launch with ice cream. We launched with nutrition bars and, you know, over the years, I always believed that once we get our nutrition bar sales to X, then it'll be time to go into other formats. And then it would be time to go into ice cream. And we never really gained the traction with the bars. And what we discovered over time was that while people liked the idea of having a better, healthier nighttime snack, they didn't like the idea of, we believe, of switching formats. So it's one thing to switch from a, an unhealthy ice cream to a healthier ice cream, a more sleep-friendly ice cream. It's quite something else to give up ice cream entirely and switch to nutrition bars. And the people that were eating nutrition bars already at night, they tended to be much more in control of their snack choices, making already some healthier choices. And so we really, I banged my head against the nutrition bar format for, for quite a long time before we realized that, you know, I think the format is actually what's part of what's getting in the way here. And we need to give people something that's more fun. And, you know, you talk about your kids liking the packaging, you know, I, the way I equate it, solving the nighttime snacking problem for people with nutrition bars is like giving an eight-year-old a pet rock and, and solving it with ice cream is like giving them a, a new puppy. And I think you know, one, once we launched the ice cream, even before it launched, once we announced the ice cream, the media coverage we were getting you know, the Today Show and Fast Company, and we've been in Oprah Magazine, we've been on the Rachel Ray Show, we've been in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, I'm sure I'm leaving stuff out because I'm just going out of order. But I mean, just the the attention that we've been getting from the media is, is really a proxy for consumer interest. And consumers are totally interested as well, because everybody loves sleep, everybody loves ice cream. And so yes, we've been at it a long time, but the ice cream just launched about two years ago. Well, you know, we had this great guy on the show on Friday, Brendan Kane. He wrote a book called Hook Point. He wrote a book called One Million Followers about how he got went from zero to a million social media followers in 30 days, right? And yeah. his job was like, how do I get 100 million people to find out about this movie in like 100 days, right? In the And then later he's he's helped celebrities and all sorts of other people with, with their social campaigns. But he says like, basically, he thinks that like people's biggest problem is They've got something good, but they just can't break through the noise because everybody else has, there's so many other people with something good. And you yeah. got to have something that's like, you got to have something drastic. You got to have something newsworthy. You got to have something that will like, you have like three seconds to earn somebody's attention to get another 10 seconds to hopefully earn another minute to hopefully earn enough to like tell your whole story. And that basically most people screw up those first three seconds. And so congrats to you for me, at least on nailing the first three seconds 
you know, we turned down probably 95, 98% of the people trying to get on the show. And so I know we're not the biggest show in the world or anything, but we are big enough that we've got way more people trying to get on than we've got room. And, and your hook point was like, okay, yep. <laughs> Healthier ice cream helps me sleep. Like, let's hear about this. Yeah. It, it, and it and works with consumers too. And, and, you know, we built a lot of that. And I remember, you know, it's funny when we were uh, launching and we were, we were conceptualizing our flavors, you know, you have to do a chocolate, you have to do a vanilla, you know, cookies and dreams, of course, cookies and cream flavor. And we got down to that seventh and eighth flavor. And we were, we were kind of stuck between the two flavors that we were choosing between was, was something fruity, right? We had our, our template of what we needed and something fruity was one of the choices. And then we had this idea for, for a flavor that we now call bed and breakfast, which is waffle, it's maple ice cream with waffle pieces. And we, you know, the, the argument for something fruity was that you kind of have to do, like we didn't have a strawberry or anything else. We had all the traditional flavors. And the argument for bed and breakfast was that we thought it would be much more interesting and an interesting flavor for consumers and for the media. And we're, I was talking to one of our advisors, uh, Doran Stern, who's the former VP of marketing for Chobani. And he took Chobani from 30 million to like, 850 million in a couple of years. And he said, he said, what's the incremental cost on, you know, manufacturing that eighth flavor? You know, even if, even if it doesn't really get picked up in the supermarkets or whatever. And it turns out that when we really sat down and thought about it, it was about 20,000 bucks. And, you know, it gave us another flavor to talk to the stores about. And it was really something that I think, you know, helped capture the attention because we just thought bed and breakfast was such a unique and interesting flavor. And it is getting picked up now. And, we followed a similar playbook. So last year, Jess, we we received the endorsement of the American Pregnancy Association as the official ice cream of the American <laughs> Pregnancy Association. So, as a father of four, yeah, you know, I've seen, you know I've seen some ice cream consumption. Right, exactly. Right, and you go out. It's 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 the blizzard, and it's two in the morning, and you're looking for like mint chocolate chip, right? Because nothing else. It's not nothing else will do. So. So what we noticed was that, you know, we started seeing pictures of, of pregnant women on Instagram posting pictures of them eating their night food with the pint on their belly. I love this ice cream. You know, it's, it's so much easier to digest. It's better for me and my baby. I'm getting better sleep, those kinds of posts. And so we looked, we looked at it and we realized that the decisions that we made that made night food more sleep friendly were really in line with what is recommended for pregnant women by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists by you know, Johns Hopkins and the Mayo Clinic and the American Pregnancy Association. So we reached out and that deal came together very quickly because they thought, wow, that's great. Pregnant women really do love ice cream. It is literally, research proves it's the number one most widely reported pregnancy craving is ice cream. And for years, you know, all the, all the nutritions out there, well, I shouldn't say all of them, but most of them have been recommending, well, if you crave ice cream, have a low fat frozen yogurt instead or something like that. And it turns out that stuff is just loaded with sugar and it really messes, you know, with your glycemic, it's high in the glycemic index and, and the, you know, gestational diabetes is such a big problem these days. So the American Pregnancy Association loved it and we started working together with them. And, and immediately I got the idea, we should have a pickle flavored ice cream because the second most popular pregnancy craving is pickles. And it wasn't because we thought we would sell a billion pints of pickle ice cream. It was because we wanted to give pregnant women a reason to talk to other pregnant women about the ice cream. And we wanted to get the media talking about it. So we announced on April 1st last year, we, and we intentionally did it on April 1st because we didn't want people to know 
if, if we were serious or not, but we announced that we were launching a pickle flavored ice cream. And sure enough, we did. And it was our intent just to only make it available online and e-commerce. We never thought it would really go into stores. And we, we launched it in August and we were in discussions with, with one of our retailers right at that moment. And we posted on our Instagram and I got an email about 15 or 20 minutes later with a screenshot from the Instagram feed saying, hey, how come you guys didn't present this flavor to us, the pickle flavor? And I said, well, you know, we hadn't really thought about it. He goes, I think this would be really good. We should put it in some stores, see what happens. So we said, sure. Okay. So we added it to the mix. And now we've got multiple, we announced last week, multiple retailers have picked it up. Consumers have reported being so fascinated, tagging friends. Oh my God, Susie, Joey, you have to try this. Look, it's pickle flavored ice cream. So we intentionally, you know, Seth Godin says, you know, if you want people to talk about your product, you have to make something that's worth talking about, make something that's remarkable. Literally the definition of remarkable. So, you know, we've always believed that as marketers, we do need to do that. And I, I appreciate you, you pointing that out. I mean, we want to be easy for people to talk about. Well, congratulations, because I think you are, you know, it's funny, I, I grew up in Western Canada, and um, we are always getting all these like experimental potato chips flavors tried on us that my American cousins, you know, my, my dad's grew up in the States, and we yeah. always come down. And they're always like, oh, bring us one of the crazy flavors, you know, like, so we got, we got dill pickle potato chips, like a decade earlier than the States. We got, you know, there's all these like, there's a stupid flavors, like hot dog and something flavor. You were, you were in one of those markets where they just figured this is a this is a great market where yep. we can learn a lot, right? Yeah. They're like, who cares about those farmers in Alberta? <laughs> they can't, they can't screw up too much. So yeah. we just get like every summer we were having these, like, like some of them were like pretty absurd flavors, but you know, like one thing that a lot of Americans still don't know about is ketchup flavor, ketchup flavored potato chips. And they're that. like bright red. They're like, I'm sure they're so bad for you. Cause it's like, think about how much salt is on a regular pot potato chip. There's like at least that much sugar per chip. Right. right? Things like fluorescent red, like you know, those dyes are gotta be killing people. But they're like semi-addictive. And like as a like as a kid, ketchup flavor potato chips are amazingly popular amongst the like, you know, age six to twelve year olds, right? Yeah. I mean, look, we, we wanted to have something really interesting. And and you know, if if we hadn't put value on the word of mouth and the media, you know, from day one, we we probably wouldn't have, you know, gotten where we've gotten so far. And and it's something that we intend to continue. It's look, it's ice cream and it's sleep. I mean, for most people, it's two of their top 10 favorite things. So how can you go wrong? I love it. So let's talk about the business of ice cream. And and by the way, how long ago did you guys go public? We've been public since I think we started the process in 2013 and uh, the stock started trading in 2014. I can't believe how long it's been, but yes, it's so, so it's been, I guess, almost uh, six and a half years since the stock started trading. And, and what sort of guidance are you given as what you can and can't say on interviews like this as a publicly traded company? Well, I mean, I've kind of internalized it, you know, over the years. I mean, I, you know, at the beginning, I didn't know any, you know, what can I say this? Can I say that? So, I mean, look, you can't, first of all, we can't reveal anything in this, in an environment like this, that's, that's material and, uh, and not everybody knows about it at the same time. So when you have material information, like we put out an announcement this morning that we're, you know, that we're going to be going into Walmart. So that's the kind of thing where I couldn't say, Hey, we're, you know, we're going into Walmart, you know, don't tell anybody just, 
you and, you know, the thousands of listeners are the only ones that'll know. Like, we can't do that. That's not cool. You know, theoretically, I guess if, if we talked about, you know, what flavors Walmart might be taking, that's okay because it's not, it's not material. It probably wouldn't affect an investor's decision to invest or not invest. So that's really, really the criteria with Regulation FD, which is a fair disclosure, is that if, if you've got information that would, you know, materially impact somebody's decision to invest, you need to make sure everybody knows about it at the same time. So that's the first thing. Other than that, you know, you know, forward-looking statements, you know, when I talk about what I think is going to happen in the future, look, I think this is going to be a huge brand. You know, we've got, a, there's a, there's a billion dollars a week in the U.S. being spent on nighttime snacks. You know, I can say, I think we've got a billion dollar category here. I think this is going to be a billion dollar company and all those things. But, you know, there's certain things, you know, I can't guarantee that certainly. So, you know, it's really not that hard now, but I do remember like if we were having this interview at the very beginning, I'd be very nervous that I might accidentally say the wrong thing or, or something yeah. like that. And, and then you've got people like Elon Musk that just, you know, he'll say whatever. And, you know, if the SEC has a problem, you know, he'll deal with it at some other point. So again, I, I really want to talk about the marketing lessons that I think the rest of us can take away from what you've done. So I'm on your website and I love that like the, you know, the, the top tabs across are shop, frequently asked questions. The third tab is pregnant question mark, right? So, yeah. and I didn't, you didn't tell me the flavor is called pickles for two, which is hilarious. Two, yes. And that, that you give this like, Hey, you know, if they, buy, if they buy enough of this, you'll send them one for free. What a, what a great way to like tap into what already exists. You know, I love some of the old marketing books, like from 25 years ago, like positioning by Jack Trout or differentiate or die from the nineties. Right. Mm -hmm. And this idea of like, it's so much work to get something new into the customer mind compared to co-opt what's already there, right? right? Hence, you're like eating ice cream at night. Like you do not have to work to convince people they might be interested in possibly having a scoop of ice cream at night, right? Or, or, that, or that maybe better sleep is something that some people might think is a good idea, right? So, so you know, oh, yeah. the, overlap, the overlap is huge. We, we don't have to convince people that, you know, of either of those things. And that's really uh, important to us. Well, the pregnant thing is funny because you know, when I get off this interview, I'm going to go tell my wife about all the pregnancy jokes and this, the stuff that you've got built into this. And she, and I'm going to look cooler. I'm going to feel special that she's going to think my story is funny and that she's going to want to Google it. And that she's probably going to want to order the pickle one to see what it tastes like. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so and that's the thing is we, we want the pregnant women even more so, you know, you know, as much as, as much as what you just said is all true, imagine if she were pregnant at this time. Oh, yeah. If you were a pregnant woman and she was your pregnant friend, you know, how quickly would that spread? Oh, totally. Right. But but what I like is essentially like this idea of like building it with sharing in mind. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of building it and then trying to figure out how to share it, like you guys have baked that into the bones. Like I love your waffle and maple idea. You know what I mean? Like a, you know, I, I love the uh, the guy who lead singer of Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia, right? He he said, don't try to be the best at something, try to be the only one. And like, I had no idea. They're like one of the most financially successful bands of the era. They made like $350 million not selling CDs. Right, because like, they let everybody record the stuff. They let everybody record the shows. Right? I mean, you're you're a, you're a Seth Godin fan as well. So I'm sure you've heard a bunch about the Grateful Dead from, yeah. from him. But like, this idea of we're always, we're so wired to try to be better than the competition. And yet there's so much money in being the opposite of the competition, right? Or being yeah, the it, only one. It's, yeah. And, and we did, you know, it's funny because, 
you know, we felt that when we came out with, you know, just letting people know that there's a nighttime ice cream that we would kind of force people, you know, once you hear, but you can't unring that bell in your brain. So, you know, if, if you're eating something, whether it's Halo Top or Ben and Jerry's, after you know about night food, you know, you have to be thinking about your sleep. I mean, it's, it's just bad <laughs> sleep hygiene. And, you know, we kind of wanted to position ourselves as the nighttime sleep friendly option. And therefore, what does that make everybody else? It, it kind of makes them daytime ice cream, which is just fine with us. Because again, we know most of those pints are going down, you know, prime time. So, so you know, the, the other thing that I like is NyQuil playbook as well. NyQuil is another thing that we really studied a bit as well. Oh, really? Yeah. I want to hear more about that. Because to me, what I think is genius about it is how much rationalization is going on about eating ice cream at night? You know, like I had like the metabolism of like a 13 year old boy until I was like 37 or something. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, about, that sounds about right. <laughs> I, could, I could do like, I could do like, I'm a mint chip nerd, right? I could do like not a regular cereal bowl, but like those deep soup bowls. I could do like three of those in a row myself of mint chip, right? And then like about 38, 39, it's like, apparently I can't, apparently I can't do that. Right? Anyway. Well, the funny, the funny thing about ice cream at night is I think, I think on any given night, you're in one of two, two boats or two categories. You're either, Hey, I, I did great all day. I ate well, I exercised. I deserve some ice cream. And then the other one is, you know what? I ate like crap all day. I didn't get any exercise. I might as well have some ice cream because today was today, today sucked anyway. I'll start tomorrow. So yeah. no matter what happened, you can always justify having a little bit of ice cream at night. Which is funny because I am so like, I finally got serious about eating more clean and, and being healthier and stuff. And so I feel like it's like, less bad cigarettes. Let's do this. Right. But, but it's really not because I think about the, like that massive reduction in sugar, half the carbs, you know, two thirds of the calories gone, this kind of thing of like, for me, like I'm, I'm this long lanky guy and I've got all these ambitions about adding a bunch of muscle at some point. Right. But, yeah. but for me, I'm like, I did like the Tim Ferriss four hour body stuff. Right. And mm -hmm. I got rid of a bunch of the pudgy. And now I'm just like, I basically do, you know, pro protein beans, you know, protein beans and vegetables for lunch and breakfast. And then I'll eat whatever the family's eating for dinner. And like, I, I am okay having a, like a little bit of ice cream or something if I, you know, because I, like monitoring myself where I'm at, that, that works for me. Right. So whenever, whenever somebody tries to hand me like a bun or something I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not eating that. Do you realize how much ice cream I can, you realize how much less ice cream I can have if I eat your ice cream I, points? You know, I didn't know about you guys. And so, you know, ice cream with that much less sugar than is like, you know, as I'm trying to like, cause I don't want to do it. I didn't ever want to do a diet. I just wanted a lifestyle. You know what I mean? Right. And this, this is more likely to fit into at least the lifestyle I'm looking for. And, and that's what we find from a lot of people. I mean, you know, we're starting to gain some traction within the Weight Watchers universe as well. You know, I, I, I just do uh, macros. So I look at my macros each day and it forces me to eat healthier, especially during the day. And then at night, you know, I, I can have the ice cream and it's not a problem. So, and, and, and we do get some criticism, Jess, you know, people saying, oh, you're encouraging people to do this or that. Look, you know, long before we came around, people were eating a lot of junk at night. Look, if we ever make a dent or a material impact in it, then yeah, we are going to be a billion dollar company. But really what we're just trying to do is give people a healthier option. People are going to eat ice cream at night with or without night food being on the scene. And, you know, having it there really just gives people a better option. And, and, and it's, 
it, it is incrementally better. There is a thing as being healthier. And I think that uh, a lot of people, you know, like you said, they, they just want to either ban stuff or they feel like they can't. I personally have a hard time moderating as well. So I totally understand that mindset, but, but there is a way to do something in a healthier way. And then that's what we're trying to Well, talk to me about not being in the ice cream business myself. What are the obstacles that you have to overcome to be a successful ice cream business? Well, look, so it's very expensive to get going for a couple of reasons. I mean, first you need to produce a lot of product, you know, to meet the minimums of co-packers. The alternative is to try to make stuff yourself. And then you've got to invest in having the, the equipment and the facilities. And, and where it gets really expensive at the beginning, Jess, depending on how you choose to roll out is slotting fees charged by retailers. So for anybody that doesn't know, slotting fees are fees that are charged to new manufacturers. When a, uh, a supermarket or certain retailers put product on their shelves, they charge you money, like an admission fee to get on their shelf. And, and, you know, slotting can be expensive in other categories as well, chips or, you know, whatever, dry goods, cookies, but it's particularly expensive in frozen because there's a very limited amount of frozen space in the stores built into the freezers. You know, you can always find more space on shelves for chips or, or whatever, but, you know, with a lot of these supermarkets, I mean, the They've got a limited amount of freezers. Well, they all do. But even when we get into a chain, you know, it's very common that, you know, let's say a chain is going to take seven flavors. Well, we might be in seven flavors in most of their stores, but they might have, you know, 15 or 20, 25% of their stores might be significantly older where they've got literally less freezer space. And so those stores might take only three or four flavors. So you, you've got a lot of a lot of brands fighting for, for the scraps after the giants like Unilever in particular which does a huge percentage of the ice cream business. They own uh, Ben and Jerry's, they own Talenti, they own Briars. You know, so they kind of dominate the shelf. And then you've got you know, all these little startup brands fighting for the scraps of, of shelf space and being charged unbelievable, in some cases, unbelievable amounts of money for slotting. So it's, it's very expensive to get in there. And, and really, you first got to convince the retailer to take you. And then you get the privilege of paying, in some cases, you know, it can easily be six figures in slotting fees. And for a lot of people, Jess, you know, they're competing on, you know, Jess's delicious ice cream. We're the most delicious, right? Or Sean's most organic, cleanest ingredients. And, and competing in ways that are, are, in some cases, either not meaningful to the consumer or not necessarily believable. I mean, you know, I love Talenti. I love Ben and Jerry's. Those are delicious. If you come on the scene and you try to tell me you're going to be more delicious, what is my real upside in trying your ice cream in the first place and much less sticking with it? So you have to come in in a differentiated way. Halo Top did that a few years ago. You know, a brand like Rebel with its keto ice cream came in a year and a half behind us and they just blew up because they were giving people keto options. And then I think night food in, in, in our way, you know, we're coming in and we're giving people something that's totally unique. If you're not going to do that, you shouldn't bother to pay those slotting fees because you're just going to get bounced out in 12 months. And it's it's really not a, it, it's cutthroat. And, you know, we've been picked up by our chains for a second year. And that was a hard earned victory for us, especially in the year of COVID. But, you know, it's because of our differentiation and our incrementality. So the hurdles to getting in is you really have to differentiate you have to, and you have to be able to afford the slotting and then beyond that 
you have to be able to grow your business quickly enough for the retailer to even want to keep you around for a second year. You know, this is so funny. I'm so going to be like typing up this episode and like, we're going to have it for like a marketing class. Like, you know, we produce, I think I told you before we started, we produce some shows for uh, some video and podcasts for Bloomberg and stuff. But we also have a division that advises CEOs on how to become a high profile expert. And so we help them get their books done or should they start a podcast and how they get more speaking gigs, stuff like this. Right. And some of like the most straight talk I've ever given these groups of these cohorts of CEOs that join this, right. Is about, Hey, your title blends in and your book cover design doesn't, doesn't work. Like I'm going to walk past you at Barnes and Noble. Like right. you, like your stuff is probably really good. Guess what? So is the other stuff or it never could have gotten into Barnes and Noble. Right. Yeah. Like you are going to blend in with the pack. Like, you know, it's like, it's like YouTube. The number one most important thing on YouTube is the thumbnail and the headline. And then it's that you don't screw it up. If you can get somebody to right. click, it's don't screw it up. Don't have it be clickbait where you didn't deliver. But like so many people work so hard on great YouTube videos. I mean, it's the second largest search engine in the world. If you win at YouTube, this can be highly profitable, right? They work so hard on the video that never gets seen yeah. because they couldn't figure out how to stop people, couldn't figure out how to stop busy people in their tracks and go like, oh, I got to click that one, right? And I feel like you just gave us like the masterclass on CEOs and executives writing books, but you gave it to us in ice cream. Well, it's it's a hard learned lesson. Even, you know, even when you get it right, sometimes it's not always on the first try. And I think that's probably where we're at. So the packaging that you see behind me, that's our new packaging. Our original packaging, which won awards and we love it, you know, it, it didn't do the job. It didn't do the heavy lifting that we needed it to do. And that's why we're so excited to get the new packaging on shelf. The, the original packaging, and I'll send you some, some pictures, it didn't really focus on the sleep-friendly component. It said night food, and it looked great. The colors were a little yeah, bit more- Yeah, I'm seeing it on the website. Yeah. So, so what you see there is what we failed to do is we failed to really differentiate. And I think, you know, we even, I'll tell you this story. This is a funny story. So, so we have our broker in Chicago, the guy who was servicing our account was retiring, and we were doing a transition call to the new people that were gonna be handling uh, the Chicago market for us. And one of the guys, you know, got on the call and at the beginning of the call, he goes, by the way, he goes, you know, I'm so happy to be working with this brand. My wife started buying it about two months ago from our local local store, Jewel. And I love the ice cream and it's great and, and all that. I said, oh, I'm great, I'm so glad you love it. And so I started, you know, talking about the sleep market and everything else. And he's like, he's like, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. He said, he, you know, his wife was just buying it because it was a lower calorie ice cream that they wanted, that they tried and they liked the taste. He didn't know anything about any of the sleep benefits because our packaging didn't, you know, didn't hit people over the head with it. And people just thought night food was the name. Like, like they didn't realize that there was a difference. And, and so we took great care on version 2.0 that you see behind us to let people know on the front, it says sleep friendly on the back. It clearly indicates nutritionally what is different more prebiotic fiber, more casein protein, more vitamin B6, you know, high in calcium, more magnesium, more zinc. So all of these things, so that people understand that this is not just a pint of ice cream with a fun name and a monster on it. And I think that our sales velocities are going to increase so dramatically because of this. You know, we were, we were doing okay with the old packaging, but it was not telling the story. It was not doing the heavy lifting and it wasn't working nearly as hard as we needed it to. And like you said, we worked really hard on what went into every single pint, but we were not doing a good enough job on shelf telling people about it. And people are busy. They're running through the store, especially in time of COVID and you need to stop them in their tracks. And 
I believe because most pint ice cream is consumed at night, anybody in that section, when they see sleep friendly smack in the middle of our pints, it's going to force them to pick it up and take a look on the back and see what the heck this is about. And at that point, hopefully we've, we've created a trial at that point. And then when they get home and they try it, take it for a test drive in their natural habitat, at that point, hopefully we've created a repeat uh, customer. Well, you know, so as, as an art school dropout, right? I, I look at this and, and we, you know, we keep talking about standing out here, right? You look at your previous packaging where you have, you have nice harmonizing colors and stuff, mm. but compared to this, where you've got such a dark blue and such a bright white for the night food, where you've got that sleep friendly, so big in the monster mouth, you know, these, these illustrations you've got on the front. And it's like, it, it's, it's, you know, like you've got that first read of night food immediately, which has high contrast. And if they see a second thing on here at all, if they stay long enough to read two more words, it's going to be sleep friendly, right? And you just, like you said, kind of smacked them in the face with it. And to me, again, back to this hook point, like curiosity is really underrated by so many folks, right? Instead of like, I love that instead of on front going like, you know, X amount, X amount of casein, whatever. Well, my wife doesn't care about the protein stuff. She doesn't, she doesn't know what, do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's some, like people try to vomit up every good thing instead of winning the three seconds right. to earn the 10 seconds to earn the minute, you know, like, so obviously nobody knows the future here, but I, you know, I would, I would like to agree with you that what you've got now has a higher probability of winning the three seconds to hopefully get them to pick, have take the 10 seconds to pick up and see what it is. Yeah. We're real excited. So how, how, like what jurisdictions are you in? What, what geos, what geographies are you in? So we're, I mentioned Chicago a couple of times. We're in Jewel Osco in Chicago, and we're also in Shaw's and Star Market in New England. So those are, those are both divisions of Albertsons. Everybody knows Albertsons. We're also in uh, Kroger's largest autonomous division, which is Harris Teeter which is really goes from Delaware on the Eastern seaboard all the way down to uh, South Carolina. We're in uh, Texas in a chain called Central Market, which is a division of HEB, which HEB is a huge uh, chain as well. Uh, Central Market is their upscale division. We're in Rouse's, which is a chain down in New Orleans and the Gulf, Gulf Coast through Mississippi and, and some other, other chains like in the Pacific Northwest. We're in Northwest Grocers. And uh, like I said, we're rolling into a little chain called Walmart. We haven't yet made public, you know, the regions and the stores that we're going to be in. We don't actually know all that final information just yet, but we definitely expect to be picking up a lot more geographic coverage through that relationship with Walmart. And that's going to start in uh, the second half of April. You know, it's been an interesting education for me as we've had folks on here who talked about what it's meant to get into Costco and then how you expand, what it's meant to get into Walmart or Home Depot and what it means to expand the number of stores that pick them up. And, you know, it can be rapid growth, right? Yeah, it, it can be. And, you know, we've, we've got an opportunity here where, you know, we're we're in eight, about 800 stores right now and we're, we're definitely, you know, going to double that this fiscal year, which ends... Uh, June 30th. But yeah, I mean, look, going into next year, you know, again, we're already in Albertsons divisions, we're already in Kroger divisions, we're already in HEB, we're, we're, you know, we're going into Walmart. And if the new packaging connects the way we think it will, you know, we're going to be sitting here in 12 months with commitments, you know, potentially for thousands and thousands more uh, retailers, It, it can get big fast. And that's exactly what we're preparing for. You know, it's funny, I keep talking about this book, Hook Point, but your Dr. Michael Burris, the sleep doctor that you've got wow. on here, he talks about him multiple times in the book. Oh, is that and right? How, yep. And Dr. how Michael branding, Burris, yeah. uh-huh. by branding himself this way, As the sleep you know, he wins that, he wins that three second 
And because that's not how they're commonly referred to, he's he stands apart, right? The guy's been on Dr. Oz like 27 times or something. Like he really has done well by winning, really? About 50 times now, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so I'm really interested in the online business for ice cream. What? T- tell us about one of the obstacles. Let's start there. What's one of the obstacles for online obstacles, ice cream? Obstacles one, two, and three are that shipping is really expensive and somebody has to pay it. And so either, you know, either we pay or subsidize the consumer, in which case our profit margins suffer, or we ask the consumer to pay it, in which case, you know, the value proposition to the individual consumer decreases and it drives up your customer acquisition cost. It is not at all a focal point for us. We we do obviously have it available as do you know most of the other brands, but it's not really a focal point at all. We don't uh, look to it as anything other than a way for people to get the ice cream while they wait for us to roll out into their geo. And then certain times, you know, people will go to the store and the store might only have three or four flavors and the customer really likes it. And then they'll go online and buy more because they know they like the brand. But there's no part of us that's trying to take, you know, strangers from St. Louis where we don't have any distribution and trying to advertise to them and say, hey, you know, if you like sleep and you like ice cream, you know, go buy this, click, 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 you know, 20% off coupon or, you know, subscribe and save or any of that nonsense. Because quite frankly, it's not part of our model because the shipping is just such a bear, you know, it's, it's, I don't care, honestly, if we ever sell another pint online, you know, we want to be in all the stores and, you know, there, there are some bigger brands that, that make their online business uh, a way for people to get the flavors they, they can't get their hands on. And I think that's what online is best for, but, you know, I, I don't, you'll see startup. Here's an example, Jess. You'll see brands, Magic Spoon and Catalina Crunch in the cereal space. There's, there's, there's chips. There's, there's a lot of snack brands that, that, or protein powder brands, supplement brands that have made their, made their starts and very effectively and efficiently online because you're, you can ship dry goods. But when it comes to beverages and when it comes in even more so to ice cream, you know, you just don't see those. And the reason is. Uh, because it's just too inefficient to ship. Until we all have drones dropping them off at our house, right? At some yeah. point, at some point, it might either that or if, if if we get every winter like it's been the last couple of weeks, where you don't have to worry about the ice cream melting, you can just throw it on a regular UPS truck with no dry ice. That would change things. But yeah, I, I don't I don't really see it being a big piece, you know. And, and I, it's funny because you know, look, we've got we've got probably over six or 7,000 shareholders at this point. And, you know, fortunately, most of them don't email or call too often, but I, you know, a big part of my day is, is interfacing. And, and a lot of them ask about, you know, why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you more aggressive online? And what happens is some of these people have clicked over to some of the other new ice cream brands and then they get tagged. And so they're seeing ads everywhere they go from some of these other startup ice cream brands. You know, maybe they, a lot of times people are not aware of the concept of retargeting ads and things like that. And they think these guys are spending a billion dollars on ice cream ads. And they're like, well, it must be working if they're spending that money. But I, I think there are some some brands out there that, that are doing it as a lost leader with rapid expansion and they just want to build the awareness and that's fine. But that's not that's not part of our part of our strategy. And and, you know, even the drones, I mean, it's it's still going to be summer 
you know, you get too close to the sun with those drones and the ice cream is going to melt, right? So what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, so now that you're in Walmart, what advice can you give to anybody else who's trying to get into Walmart? Well, we're, you know, to be clear, we're not in Walmart yet, but, you know, we're rolling in, in, yeah, in a couple of months. See, that's the kind of thing as a public CEO, I have to say, as opposed to if I was just a regular guy, I could, I could just answer the question like a normal human being. So I apologize for that. No, no, um, no. You know, look, advice for getting into Walmart is simple. You need to have something that the buyers think their customers would really like. And, and it's the same trick to getting into every store, right? That category manager is a proxy for the consumer, just like the editor of a magazine is a proxy for the consumer. If, if they think their consumer is going to be interested in it, they will put it in. You know, the reason a brand like ours is able to get into Walmart so quickly in our life cycle is, is because they think it's interesting, especially the pickle flavor. You know, they think that's really interesting to their consumers. They, they you know, and, and we knew when we, uh, when we started targeting the pregnant consumer that it was going to give us a leg up in terms of getting into retailers because that pregnant household, that pregnant consumer is significantly more valuable, you know, than the 38-year-old single guy. So, so that was another reason why we thought the pregnancy was such a big piece. So whether it's Walmart or Target or any other retailer, you know, they've got to envision a couple of things. They've got to envision that their customers are going to want the product. And they've got to believe that it's going to give them some level of incrementality in the sense that it's going to be something that the people can't just get anywhere. Because if it's something that they can get anywhere, then then you're you're really losing a lot of the advantage and you can only compete on velocity. And for a new brand to try to compete on velocity, whether you're going into chips or ice cream or, or beverages, you know, it's going to be really hard uh, to do that the first few years. So you really want the retailer to believe that you're bringing something that's additive to the category in the eyes of their customers, or else there's not going to be any reason. They're not going to replace Pepsi with Joe's Cola and think that they're going to sell more units day one. I mean, that's just not the way that's going to work. And it's the same thing in ice cream and it's the same thing in chips. So, so you've got to sell to that buyer. And, and it's not about saying my product is better. It's, it's because the buyers hear that, you know, as soon as you walk out, the next guy coming in is going to tell the buyer the same thing, that their product is better. How is it different? What is it going to do to help raise the status of the store? What is it going to do to help people spend more money? For example, Jess, if you've got a pregnant woman who likes ice cream a lot, but also likes Oreos and chips and everything else, well, once she discovers night food, you know, maybe instead of having ice cream that she's buying from Jewel Osco or from Harris Teeter, instead of having ice cream twice a week, chips a couple times a week, cookies, you know, maybe now ice cream is now four or five times a week because this is the official ice cream of the American Pregnancy Association. That's what I mean by incrementality. The guy who's making the decisions for the ice cream section, he wins when more ice cream is sold, even if that's at the expense of the chips and the popcorn. Okay. So if you, when you're in front of that buyer, you need to explain to them how you're going to help them improve their PL by putting you on. How are, how can you be weaponized to help them get what they want to accomplish and how can they activate your brand? And if they don't see that, then they're not going to take the chance. Yeah, you need to be able to get, you need to get them to let you put some like stickers on the glass. It's got like pregnant woman saying like, honey, I wanted this one. Yeah. We're, we're, you, you've, you're, you've got some of our best, best secrets, uh, best ideas. So we're working on stuff like that. 
but you're right. Um, Absolutely. So, so looking at websites, I got buynightfood.com. I've got trynightfood.com. Social, you're on LinkedIn. And anything I'm missing for people that want to find out more? Really, you know, nightfood.com is the hub where people can kind of get to all of those. And, uh, you know, for investors, they would go to IR, you know, for investor relations, ir.nightfood.com. And they can learn about the stock. They can learn about the prospects of the company, you know, where we think the category is going. I mean, we haven't even talked. Shame on me, Jess. I just got to say, you know, we, we, we got right in and we started talking about ice cream and stuff. I mean, you know, and I know I, I threw some of these stats out there, but so many people are snacking regularly at night and they're spending so much money. And we are not just an ice cream company. I mentioned we started with our nutrition bars. Ultimately, you know, we do want to be able to platform again when the time is right. That's not something that would happen very early on. But ultimately, we can make sleep-friendly chips or cookies or whatever people are snacking on at night. And that's ultimately where we see the night food brand going. And that's why, you know, we've already received interest from some of the largest food and beverage companies in the world. Pepsi is launching their own sleep-supporting sleep beverage called Driftwell. So all, all these things tell us that we're on the right track here with regard to this concept of specialized nighttime nutrition, or what we call sleep-friendly nutrition. And so anybody who wants to learn more about that can go to ir.nightfood.com and, and learn about kind of the, the opportunity that we're addressing in the consumer needs state that we're uh, speaking to with Nightfood. Okay. I'm going to give you one more useless marketing tip that you don't have to follow. There, there should be like some point system where depending how many of these you bought, that you win a bed for your phone to plug your phone in outside of your bedroom because it's such a such a sleep killer is having the phone physically in your room. Yep. So they could win like a night food, like iPhone bed goes out in the hallway. Yeah, definitely. Right. on Outside the door. That's the key. Keep it outside. Love it. Hey, listen, congrats on the success. Thanks for coming, sharing the lessons. This is great. Thanks, Jess. I had a lot of fun and uh, I'm really happy that you guys uh, had us on.